Well, good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. Apparently, you were the ones that did not get the memo that this weekend's the weekend to be away. I'm glad you didn't because you're here. But we have a number of folks that are away. And in fact, I kept having people either call me or see me. We're going to be away this weekend. But I'm glad you're here. And more importantly, we pray that God would come and meet with us in our time together this morning. On the back of your bulletins are the announcements. We will be having lunch together. And then following lunch, we will be uh, coming together again for the afternoon service, which will be around the Lord's table uh, this afternoon. And with the number of folks that we have away this morning, uh, perhaps if you're going to leave and come back, we might start a bit early because I think we can get through the line for lunch a bit faster. But uh, just to put you on notice for that, we'll see. Wednesday prayer meeting is on Zoom. Uh, that you see in the announcements, there's a thank you note from Tim and Kathy. Make sure you uh, read that <coughs> there in your bulletins. And then you can see that on October the 15th, it's a busy day. It's a Saturday. There's a ladies' Bible study uh, at the home of Joe White's from 9 to 11 on Saturday morning. And then we're going to have a social time of fellowship together with the escape room and a chili supper. Uh, We're meeting in Monroe around 4.30 at the escape room. And the address is there and uh, the information about that. And then about 6.15, we'll be going to the Montrise for food and more fun. And I've even told that the 15th is sweetest day, so you're to bring your favorite dessert. That sounds like a lot of dessert, but um, bring your favorite dessert on the 15th. And also, um, just let the Montrise know if you're coming or not. Sometimes when somebody hosts this, you know, they don't know if somebody's not told them or if they're not coming or if they are coming. So it, it would be helpful even if, if you can't come, maybe there's a conflict. Just let them know that so that we have some idea of who might be coming and who's not coming. So um, anyway, keep that in mind. One, one announcement that's not in your bulletin, uh, and that is maybe some of you have received an invitation, but if not, I'm giving you one. Uh, the Crisis or the Care Pregnancy Center here in town will be having their uh, fall fundraiser with family and friends. That's Thursday, October 20th at the Family Center. Doors open at 6. The program begins at 7. Um, there's a silent auction that's going on. And certainly in this day and age, the Care Pregnancy Center is a very vital part of our community, which we support, and I trust that you'll be supporting them. Um, <clears throat> there's a sign-up sheet. Is it on the back table? Sign-up sheet on the back table if, if you plan to go or would like to go. So uh, you can do that or see Joe or talk to Joe about this. She can give you more information. So that's not in your bulletin, so I don't want it to just, not that all of you read your bulletin and make that a, a matter of priority, but uh, I don't want you just to forget about it. If you, if you come this Thursday, October 20th, you need to RSVP by the 10th. So uh, look at your calendars and check that out. It won't be in your bulletin next week either because I'm out of town and that bulletin's already done. Uh, but hopefully it will be announced again. But uh, keep that in mind as well. All right. Well, that's all the announcements that I have this morning as we give ourselves to the worship of our God. 
the words of our Lord to his disciples. He's about ready to leave, and they have a lot of questions. There's some uncertainty what's going to happen to us. And our Lord says to them, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be fearful. The wonderful thing about the gospel is it brings us peace. And so I pray that even as we gather with all the uncertainty of the world, with all the things going on around about us, oh, to live at peace, a peace that passes all understanding is a wonderful thing to possess. And I trust our time even together today will be a means to help us live at peace in a fallen world. Prepare your hearts to worship God. Inside your bulletin is the call to worship. It comes from Isaiah chapter 41. Again, it's one of the most common sayings. Do not be afraid. Do not be fearful. Trust in me. And here in Isaiah 41, we find this over and over again. But we're told that God is with us. He will strengthen us. He will help us. And may we find that to be of great encouragement. Will you stand with me? Let us call one another to worship in this responsive reading. <clears throat> do not fear, for I am with you. Do not, be, do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. For I am the Lord your God, who upholds your right hand, who says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. And with that set before us, now take your hymns of grace, the hymns of grace, and turn with me to 364, how firm a foundation, 364.
prayer. Our Father in heaven, we praise you with joyful adoration again this Lord's Day morning. And as we seek to honor and glorify you in this service, we ask that you will enable us by your spirit to do so with an overwhelming sense of your great power and majesty and holiness so that the true prayer of our heart is, Hallowed be thy name. And hallowed be the name of our Lord Jesus, because he willingly and resolutely went up to Jerusalem with the full knowledge of what would happen, that he would be betrayed, and although innocent, he would be condemned to death, and delivered over to the Gentiles to be mocked and spit upon and tortured and killed in our place to pay the penalty of our sins, and three days later he would rise again from the dead. Father, we confess that in and of ourselves we are totally inadequate to enter into worship or ask anything of you. But because of our union with Christ, we do ask that you would be pleased to be present with us and that we would have sweet communion together with you this hour. For we ask it in the holy name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Now take your Trinity hymn books, turning to 579, 579, Be Still My Soul, 579.
Well, our consecutive reading through the New Testament today is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, the last half of the chapter, beginning at verse 32. And there are three things I'd like to call to our attention in this passage, and all three are regarding words or phrases that are repeated. And when reading Scripture, we always want to give careful attention when we see that. You'll recall uh, last week when Brother Bill read the first half of chapter 10, he pointed out that it was Jesus' custom to teach the people, and we saw the Pharisees challenged his teaching, and the rich young ruler walked away sadly at his teaching. But his disciples were amazed and even astonished at his teaching. And now here in today's passage, we read again that they were amazed, and not only at his teaching, but that he resolutely was walking out ahead of them on the way up the road to Jerusalem. And verse 32 even adds that those who followed also were fearful. The second repetition we see is in Jesus' question, what do you want me to do for you? That he asked of James and John and then also Bartimaeus. Same question. I read a few of Dr. MacArthur's sermons on this chapter, and he emphasized the stark contrast between what James and John wanted and what Bartimaeus wanted. The last one is the most important, and it's Jesus' foretelling what is soon going to happen. And this is now the third time in Mark's gospel that he tells them about his death and resurrection, and this time he goes into greater detail. You may recall that the previous time was in chapter 9, and there we read, but they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. And now here in chapter 10, Mark gives us no indication that that's changed at all. So, Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 32, I'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Version. Hear now the word of the living and true God. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were fearful. And again, he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and three days later he will rise again. Then James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus, saying to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant that we may sit, one on your right and one on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. And calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, 
You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men ex exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, get up, he is calling for you. And throwing off his outer garment, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered him and said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has saved you. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. This morning as we go to prayer once again, this morning we want to remember the Sovereign Grace Church in Auckland, New Zealand with Pastor Bala. His report uh, this past Wednesday at prayer meeting was the, the fact that he is coming to the States I, I, I couldn't get him to come here this time, uh, but uh, he is coming to the States and will be here for a little while. So we pray for the church there in Auckland while he's here uh, on a visit. So let's pray for him and for the church there in that place. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, how thankful we are that for many of us, this story, this narrative of Barnabas is something we can truly relate to. For in many ways we were like this man. But we were blind spiritually, blind to the truths about heaven and hell, blind to the truth about who God is and of His righteousness and the righteousness that He demands from each one of us. Blind to the truth about his Son, Jesus Christ, and the very fact that He was that perfect righteousness that we so desperately need, and yet we were blinded to that until one day You were pleased to open our eyes and You were pleased to show us who You are and show us who we are and caused us to cry out to You and ask the question, what must I do to be saved? And to hear the glorious answer and to respond to that, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And so we, many of us this morning, stand here amazed at your mercy and your grace towards sinners. And Father, how we pray that even this day, as your word goes forth, not only from this pulpit, but pulpits around Lenawee County and pulpits around Michigan, in the United States and around the world, that it will be a day in which by Your Spirit You will open blind eyes and cause many men to turn from their sin 
and embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and be added to the kingdom of God. So hear our cries and be pleased, we pray, even this day to add to the kingdom of God. Father, we thank You for the relationship that we've had with the Sovereign Grace Church there in Auckland, New Zealand for many years. Thank You for the opportunity of partnering with them and praying for them for the advancement of Your kingdom. We thank You for Pastor Bala and for his testimony. We thank You for his unceasing laboring for the advancement of Your kingdom around the world. Thank You for the opportunities You've given this man, especially amongst those who speak the Tamil language. And Father, we pray that You will continue to use him to that end. We think of the recent contact he's had with men in Sri Lanka. And though it is a country that is in the midst of great turmoil now, we thank You that there are those pockets of believers who desire to know Your truth. And may You continue to use Pastor Bala to instruct those men who will then instruct others also as well. And Father, we're thankful for that magazine, the Bible lamp that goes around the world to Tamil-speaking people and how the truth goes forth every time that magazine goes forth. And, and Father, we pray that You would bless and use that also to encourage Your people but even to draw others unto Yourself. And then, Father, we pray for these days in which Pastor Bala will be here in the States. We pray that You will bless the opportunities that he will have to minister Your Word. But then also we pray that as he attends the pastor's conference, that it will be time of refreshing for him, a time to sit under the Word, to be taught the Word, to hear the Word and apply it to his own life. But we pray that as he'll be absent for about a month, that you will watch over the church. We pray, Father, for those men who will stand in the pulpit to proclaim your word. May you use them and draw near to them. And so, Father, we pray that these days that he's away will not be days of, of turmoil or unrest for him. But we pray that you will just watch over his people during this time. Again, we ask that the Holy Spirit would come and minister unto us as Your Word is open. Father, help us to rightly apply that Word to our hearts and lives. Draw near to us, we pray, so that we might be able to say, it's been good to have been in the house of the Lord this day. For these things we do ask in Christ's name. Amen. Now before we come to open the Word of God, take your Trinity hymn books turning to 449, 449, the law of God is good and wise, 449. Let's stand together as we sing.
Good, you can be seated. Deuteronomy chapter 20. Deuteronomy chapter 20. We are in that section of Moses' message to the children of Israel in which he is expounding in greater detail that sixth commandment, Thou shalt not murder. He is calling them to hold to a sanctity of life. And he has dealt with various issues when it comes to this topic. He has told us what's to be done when someone has been killed unintentionally. The city of refuge would be set up for their safety. He has also told us what would happen when a man sheds innocent blood. His blood shall be taken. He he has set before us the importance of the preservation of life. We looked at that last week as we considered together the moving of the boundaries from one place to another. And then we also saw the preservation of life with regard to falsely accusing someone of wrongdoing. But there's more to be said, believe it or not. And so as we come to Deuteronomy chapter 20, he takes up the topic of warfare. What about wars? And here in this chapter, he sets before us primarily three things. One, how we approach the battle. Number two, the preparation for the battle. And then number three, some instruction about the battle. And so this morning, we're going to take up the first two of those topics as we consider together the first nine verses of this chapter. Now, one might imagine at this point the eager anticipation that must have been felt by the children of Israel. They're about ready to enter into that promised land, promised to their forefathers a long time ago, and now they're on the verge of going in. That day's getting closer. And Moses is giving some final instructions. And perhaps as, as they look over, they're, they're reminded about the information that was given to their parents concerning the first report given to them about this promised land. You might recall that when the spies returned from spying out the land, the word was this, it is certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. And they had these cluster of grapes that were on a pole between two men. This is what's in that land, along with some pomegranates whatever those are, and and figs. This is what it's awaiting us when we arrive in that land. And and they're perhaps imagining what it's going to be like to live in a land where there are cities which they have not built, 
that there are houses full of good things that they have not filled. There are cisterns which they have not dug, and vineyards and olive trees which they have not planted. It is a place, remember Moses told them, where you're going to eat and be satisfied. And they're looking forward perhaps to getting in that land, but then perhaps as they think about what else has been said, they also know that when they arrive in that land, there's going to be opposition. They will face fierce opposition as they seek to settle in that land. You you might recall that the spies, when they returned, also reported that this land, the people who live in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. So while on the one hand there's an eager anticipation of all that they will enjoy when they arrive in the promised land and when they experience God's blessing, there's also the reality that in taking this land and settling in this land, there will be warfare. There's battles. And there will be casualties. But now Moses instructs them concerning that war. For follow it now as I read the first nine verses of Deuteronomy 20. And when you go out to battle against your enemies and and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt is with you. When you are approaching the battle, the priest shall come near and speak to the people. And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, you are approaching the battle against your enemies today. Do not be faint-hearted. Do not be afraid or panic or tremble before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. And the officers also shall speak to the people, saying, Who is the man that has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him depart and return to his house. Otherwise he might die in the battle and another man would dedicate it. And who is the man who has planted a vineyard and has not begun to use its fruit? Let him depart and return to his house, otherwise he might die in the, in the battle and another man may begin to use it. And who is the man that's engaged to a woman and has not married her? Let him depart and return to the house, otherwise he might die in the battle, and another man would marry her. And then the officer speaks further to the people and says, Who is the man that is afraid and faint-hearted? Let him depart and return to his house, so that he might not make his brother's heart melt like his heart. 
And when the officer finished speaking to the people, they appointed commanders of armies at the head of the people. We'll stop there in our reading. So here in these first four verses, Moses speaks about their approach to the battle. And you notice Moses is very honest with them. You've got to love it when he stands before them and says, we're about ready to go to battle. And I want you to know when you're in battle, you're going to see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you. These are the true circumstances that you're going to face as you go into battle. And on face value, these circumstances were quite terrifying. It was a scary thought. You will have enemies that will be more numerous than you. And they'll be better equipped. They'll have better weaponry than you will have. They, they will be more advanced for war than you are. Remember, Israel does not have a well-trained army. It, it wouldn't be for several years. In fact, it's not until Solomon becomes king that they would even possess things like chariots and war horses. Going to war for the Israelites would mean having an infantry, having foot soldiers. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, we read how Israel went to battle with neither sword nor spear. But what's found in their hands was this. They had plowshares, mattocks, which I think is like a pick, Forks and hose. So can you imagine? I mean, look at look at this battle scene. On the one side, you've got chariots, a mighty army, spears, swords, mighty horses, and on the other side, you've got guys with plows and a hoe and a pick. No horses, no chariots. These are the circumstances. And no doubt on the surface it would be very frightful. But notice what Moses says to them as to how they're approached the battle. So you're going to go up against these guys, more numerous, better equipped, better weaponry. But when you go to battle against your enemies, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, for the Lord is with you. Mr. Brown in his commentary says, fear is likely to do more damage in the ranks than any fierce onslaught which can be organized by the opposition. Fear can do more damage than the fierce onslaught which can be organized by an opposition. So his word to them was, do not 
be afraid. Doesn't take away from the reality of the circumstances that you are seeing. And so it's interesting that the next thing he says is, and before you go into a battle, the preacher is going to preach to you. The, the priest is going to stand before you. And he's got a message. I thought it was interesting that his message has three points, okay? So it is legitimate when I give you a three-point outline. Even the priests, before they went into battle, even though today I only got two, they, they, they still spoke to the men before they went into battle. And the priest will set before them three truths that are better resources in the battle than any of the best equipment. The priest would come and speak to them. And so, as you do battle, keep these things close. A reality, an experience, and a promise. First of all, when the priest speaks to you, he will speak about a present reality. A present reality. We read there in verse 3, And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, you are approaching the battle against your enemy today. Do not be faint-hearted. Do not be afraid or panic or tremble before them. For the Lord your God will go with you. This was the focus of the priest's message. This was meant to encourage them that they were not alone. When you enter into this battle, there is this reality that God will go with you. And that's the encouragement that we hear in God's Word over and over again. Do not fear I am with you. You know, many times fear is grounded in lies. We don't stand a chance. The, the, look, look at those chariots. Look at their weapons. Can you, I'm standing here with a hoe, and this guy's got a sword. But, but faith looks past what is visible to that which is invisible. And, and by faith, our focus is upon God, who, who is not He's not far away. He's right here. By, by faith, God is with me. He's not far away. He's not too busy. It's not that if I call upon Him, He's going to... Give me five. Give me ten. No. He's right here. He's not too busy. He's not too far away. He hasn't fallen asleep. But He's with you. 
He goes with you. Keep that reminder as you're in the midst of the battle and you see what's before you by faith. Hold on to this truth. God is with me. That's a present reality. But secondly, remember past experience. Past experience. Moses says there in in verse one. I mean, when you think of a mighty army in this day and age, when you when if back in in the time Moses is writing this, and you think of one of the greatest armies, one of the most powerful countries that you would ever go against, what would come to your mind? It would be Egypt. Egypt. They had the mighty horses and the chariots, and they had the army. They had hundreds of men in their army prepared for battle. They had the weaponry. (laughs) And yet, what happened in Israel? To Israel. They left. They left. And, And the mighty army of Egypt comes after them. I would imagine that most of those people in that caravan that left Egypt to go after the Israelites were thinking to themselves, this is going to be a piece of cake. I've got my horse and they've got their sandals. I've got my sword and they maybe have a plow. I've got my chariot and they're going to be walking. And they come down, and there's the Red Sea, and they're thinking, oh, now we got them. This is it. And the Red Sea departs. And the Israelites walk through on dry ground. And the chariots and the mighty warriors and the swords come charging through, and God engulfed them in that water, so they all died. It is the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt who is the God who is now with you. They have heard and seen what God has done. They would sing at one point, I will sing unto the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider He's thrown into the sea. They know that God is alive. They know that God is active. What or who could possibly defeat the Egyptians? And yet, let's go back to the Red Sea. If God has defeated former enemies, could He not do the same for future ones? And so that's a past experience. As you ride into that battle, keep this past experience in mind. See how God has worked. Remember the things that God has done. And then there's a future promise. There's a future promise. Verse 4. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. The conquest is never in doubt. Victory is sure. 
Go into the battle with certainty, for God will save you. And as you follow my commands, as you live in obedience to my word, and as you go into this land, and as you seek to settle in this land, and as you fight many mighty armies, one day you will dwell in that land And you'll live in cities you have not built. And you'll have houses filled with things that you haven't filled. And there'll be vineyards that you eat from that you haven't planted. For I will give you victory. And so as you approach the battle, remember these three things. Remember, I am with you. Remember what I've done for you in the past. And remember, I promise you'll be victorious. That's how they approach the battle. But then secondly, we notice here in verses 5 through 9, what I'm calling just the preparation for battle. So, So once the priest has given his message... Then the officers will then step forward and and they will speak to the children of Israel. They will address the troops. Again, Mr. Brown in his commentary says, For the Hebrew soldiers, quality is infinitely more important than quantity. With God, what we are is always more important than what we got. Quality is more important than quantity. And who we are is more important than what we have. And as these soldiers engage in war, and the officers speak to them and tell them how they were to prepare for this battle, what an interesting battle plan it is. Moses has just told them, you're going to face an army more numerous than you are. So how are we going to face them? We're going to decrease the ranks. You still have too many going to battle. So what we're going to do is call some of you away from the battle. We're going to reduce your numbers. I mean, when you read this, it's, it's, it's almost funny. I mean, on the one hand, you're going to fight a great army with swords and a lot of men and horses and chariots. But don't be afraid. And and you're going to fight an army that's more numerous than you. So what are we going to do? We're going to reduce the ranks. And so they do so. This is what they're going to do. We've got to be small enough so that God receives the glory. And so God... Basically, here in these verses, he he sets up two categories of of who can leave the battle. 
first of all there are those who are told not to go just don't go and there's three categories that fall under this head first of all there's the guy who has a brand new home he hasn't lived in it and he's told go back home lest you die and and someone else receives the blessing of that new home. Take some time and enjoy your home. Then there's a man who has just planted a vineyard. And he's told, go home. You haven't had an opportunity to eat from that vineyard. Go home. Take a little time. Eat from that vineyard. And then there's those who've never enjoyed a spouse. A spouse. It's interesting. If you look over to chapter 24 and verse 5, when giving some direction, it says, When a man takes a new wife, he shall not go out with the army, nor be charged with any duty. He shall be free at home one year, and shall give happiness. (laughs) You could preach on this. You shall give happiness to his wife, whom he has taken. Go home and make your wife happy. Gentlemen, I'm I'm, I'm not going to park here. Let's just move on. All right. But here, here are the three categories. They all point to the fact that these are individuals who had not yet enjoyed the blessing of the covenant. And God wanted them to enjoy the blessing before they go to battle, knowing they might die. And we may have a lot of questions. Really? Die but new house? He gets to stay for a while, enjoy his house? Yeah. At a vineyard? He gets to enjoy Yeah. A wife? Yeah. Enjoy your wife a year or so. Enjoy those things. Wow. So he doesn't have to go to... No. So what's that point to? Here's, here's what I want you to take away from this. What a gracious God we have. What a kind God we have. We often picture God as this ogre, this meanie, this, this stingy person who just wants to rule and kill and whatever else. But... but Here's the gracious, goodness, kindness of God towards individuals. He knows you go to war, you may die. So take some time and enjoy these things. They're not exempt from battle altogether. They're not exempt from going to war. He he says... You know, if you go to war, you're gonna you could die. So before you go, take some time. So these are those who were told not to go, and then the second category is those who don't want to go. Those who don't want to go. Verse eight, and then the officers shall speak further to the people and say. Who is the man that's afraid and faint-hearted? 
Let him depart and return to his house. So here, the focus is upon a man who's scared. He's a coward. Now remember, this inquiry comes after the speech of this priest. This is after the priest has spoken. And they've heard what the priest has to say. God is with you. Consider what God's done in the past for you. Here's His promise. You shall be victorious. And they've heard those words, but it has no effect upon them. They're still afraid. And they're scared to the point that they're willing to leave the battle. And it's a reminder that sometimes a good message doesn't take heart in the hearers. I I find some comfort in that. Not that I ever think I've preached a good message, but a good message sometimes doesn't take heart in the hearers. It's like the parable of the sower. Remember the seed, some of the seed fell up on the hard ground and it couldn't penetrate because it was was so hard. The seed couldn't get in and therefore... There was no fruit. And the Word of God tells us it's not like a man who who hears the Word of God, but he's completely indifferent to it. He, he, He doesn't believe it has any regard for him. And he simply casts it aside. That That happens. Week after week, when the Word of God is preached, and people who can sit and hear the Word of God week after week are completely unaffected by its message. And they leave here the same way they came. There are times when the preacher thinks to himself, Oh, so-and-so is listening today. This is going to have an effect. And they walk out, and there's no difference. And here are a group of men who've heard this wonderful message. But it doesn't penetrate their hearts. And therefore, they want to leave. So here we have, here we have not only the approach, but the preparation for the battle. So what about you and I, all right? Well, we're in a battle. As I mentioned this morning in the Sunday school hour, hearing a message by Pastor Hendricks about the war that we're in. And only as Pastor Hendricks could do it, and I can envision him because he's now with the Lord, but I could hear him say, 
people, we are at war. And it's a fierce war. Oh, it's not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There is a spiritual war going on. It's a war in which men have declared the standards of God have no relevance. It's a war that we're engaged in where men are no longer men and women are no longer women and you can be whatever you want. And when God says He created male and female, no. It's a war when certain people declare that what God has said concerning marriage between a man and a woman is no longer true. And it has been declared legal for same-sex marriage though that is contrary to the Word of God. It, it, it's sinful. They need a Savior. I don't, I don't say that to, to cause people to say, oh, that church over there, they don't like certain people. We love people. And we love for them to hear the Gospel. But it's a battle. Let, let God be true and every man a liar. And, and it's time as believers we recognize we are in a battle. It's a battle of darkness. And, and the enemy desires to see us fall. Or to see us become casual in this battle. We're living in a time where there are so many casual followers of Christ. They hear the Word of God, but their lives are not changed. And we need to recognize that. And sometimes the battle can be fierce. And sometimes the enemies can seem so big and sometimes it seems as though we're losing. Look at our day and age. It looks as though we're losing the battle. Where's God? What's happening? How can we fight against all these things? How do we do that? And as the preacher preaches in your ear, remember, God is with us. Remember what God has done in the past. And remember, He shall be victorious. So, so we don't need to be downhearted. We ought not to be discouraged. But we ought to press on in the battle. There will be casualties. There could be a price to pay. 
when you, when you determine to stand for that which is right, it may cost you. I mean, Moses doesn't say, you go to battle, don't worry, everybody's going to... Some of them are going to die. God is with them. So, so there's a battle going on in this world and in this society and in this culture. But dear people, we have the best weapon of all. It's called the gospel. It's the gospel. No, we're not going to take up arms. We're not going to go destroy things. But may we proclaim the Word of God. For it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. We become cowards in many ways. Because at a time when lawlessness and evil and wickedness seems to be prospering, we seem to be more silent. And then we wonder, why, why aren't things changing? We need to proclaim the gospel. It's man's only hope. If, if you're looking to Washington, D.C. for things to change, it's not going to happen. If you're looking to Lansing for things, it's not going to happen. But dear people, may we proclaim the word. Every opportunity, may we proclaim the word. And use every legitimate means to do so. To see God arrest men in their sin and bring, him, bring them into the kingdom of God and see old things pass away and all things become new. But let me, let me bring up one other point before we close this morning. I want, you, I want you to hear again the words of Moses to these people there in verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 8. Then the officer shall speak further to the people who say, Who is the man afraid and faint-hearted? Let him depart and return to his house, so that he might not make his brothers' hearts melt like his heart. You have an influence upon others in this battle. Think about that. He says, they, they need to go home. Because if I, the, the, their faint-heartedness, their fear is contagious. And I don't want what they have to have an influence upon others. And as I thought about that, I, I thought the same is true today. Your faith, your walk with God, your resolute determination to, to live for Him has an effect upon brothers. And when we see brothers who are sort of casual in their Christianity, they have an effect upon others. Do you know, you know what I hear often? Well, pastor, so-and-so doesn't do this. And they profess to be a Christian. So-and-so I see do this, and they... And it has an influence. You have an influence upon those around you. If everyone in this church 
was determined to live their life the way that you live your life, would that be a good thing or a bad thing? What, what type of influence are you in your walk with God upon those around you? Because you are an influence. And so may God help us not to be casual followers, but to be resolute soldiers in the army of Christ to His glory. And maybe you're here this morning and you know nothing about being in the army of God because you don't know God. You just don't know God. And my message to you is you can know Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. You can know Him and have a relationship to Him and be reconciled to Him, but there's only one way for that to happen, and that's by faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. So as we've said many times, there was one man who wanted that, and he said, okay, what must I do? The Apostle Paul didn't look at him and say, well, you need to attend church. You need to do this. No, the Apostle Paul said this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you shall be saved. And you know what? That's still true today. So if you're here this morning and you're like, how can I know God? What must I do? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And He stands ready to save. And when He saves you, oh, there's a battle. <laughs> but it's a good battle. Because we've got the best commander. <laughs> we, we, we have the best equipment. He's given us the full armor to fight this battle. And, 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 and the, the end has already been determined. <laughs> and we win. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would take your word and use it in our lives. And we pray that the Spirit of God would so work that the message would have an effect upon how we live. Perhaps maybe there's someone here who's tried to brush off everything that's been said. They don't want to hear it. They really don't want to be here. But yet, Father, they're here. And may the Word of God come as that sword that pierces their heart. And may this day you bring them unto yourself. So we pray that you would come as we've sought the best we could to plant and water the seed. And may you give an increase as only you can give. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, what better hymn to end on as you think about the battle and the war than Hymns of Grace, number 353. 353. O church, arise and put the armor on. And so may we close with the singing of this hymn together. Hymns of Grace, 353. Let's stand together as we sing.
trucks after that song, you're ready to put the armor on, and go out and fight. And know God's help, know God is with us, and we might find ourselves persevering to the very end. We have plenty of food, so please stay. I don't want to take baked potatoes home with me. So please stay if you can and have lunch with us. You are dismissed.